Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Good to see everybody. My name's Tim. I'm the senior pastor here. If this is your first time, welcome. We're so glad you came out to be a part. Um, you know, there's so much going on around here. Uh, so many uh, different outreaches like the All Nations International Cafe, which is just amazing. I mean, they've had over 100 students over and over again. And uh, something happened about a month ago, though, or three or four weeks ago, where we did an outreach to some of the law enforcement of folks who came into town for a weekend. And we received a very nice card. At this, uh, at this outreach, we had a meal for them. Some other churches joined us as well. We had a meal. We prayed for them. And uh, it was just a, a wonderful afternoon. But then we received this from the mother of one of the uh, law enforcement men who uh, came. And I just want to share this with you, church. For all of those of you who work so hard to try to reach others, I want you to know what you're doing is paying off. So listen to this. Dear Church, my son was one of the men that came as law enforcement to cover Black Biker Week there at Myrtle Beach. He came to your dinner and prayer time also. When he came back home and told me about your church, I was so touched and grateful I wanted to personally thank you. Someone in your church laid their hands on my son and prayed for him by name. As a mother, it touched my heart in a way that nothing else could to know that someone did that for him. He is a wonderful son, husband to his wife, and father to his own son and daughter. He puts his life on the line to do that job, to do what he believes the Lord called him to do. You are truly truly being Jesus in your community when you do such selfless acts of kindness, getting nothing in return. May the Lord richly bless your church is my prayer for you. And she signed her name. So thank you, church. See? See what a difference you're making? Wow. Well, it's been said that just like that outreach or just like the All Nations uh, Cafe, nothing gets done in life without leadership. Somebody has to take responsibility and lead the way to get anything done. That's true uh, in any situation. When you get more than one person together and you have a project or if you want to do something, someone is going to step up or someone will have to step up and lead. I've even seen groups who, uh, they kind of brag on the fact that they have no official leadership. And then if you'll just watch them for a few minutes, you'll see who the leader is. Though they never call themselves that. You know, you'll, just, you'll just see it happen because nothing happens if someone doesn't pave the way. So what does it mean to be a leader? Uh, here's the first lesson in leadership. And so it's your fault. No, it wasn't me. It wasn't my... Uh, uh, uh. First rule of leadership, everything is your fault. (laughs) That's true, isn't it? I mean, everything is your fault. (laughs) Sloan Wilson said, uh, success in almost any field depends more on energy and drive than it does on intelligence. This explains why we have so many stupid leaders. (laughs) 
Here, here's a clip of uh, the most important or inspiring thing a boss has ever told me. Watch this. What is the most inspiring thing I ever said to you? Don't be an idiot. Changed my life. Whenever I'm about to do something, I think, would an idiot do that? And if they would, I do not do that thing. <laughs> I love that clip. <laughs> uh, oh, man. Franklin D. Roosevelt said, it is a terrible thing to look over your shoulder when you are trying to lead and find no one there. <laughs> I think this guy in the next clip has it right. Watch this. a great ad. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, we're in a series in the book of Philippians during most of the summer, so if you have your Bible or you have your app and you want to open it, you can open it to the second chapter of the book of Philippians. It's really a letter uh, that this man, Paul, is writing to a church that he really cares about and that he loves. And uh, this is, I think, our sixth week into this. We're just walking right along through it until we finish it. And uh, this church is a church that Paul started with a group of people. I'll give you a, I say this every week, so I know some of you have heard it. Don't dial out, but some are in here, who are in here for the first time. Let me catch you up real quick. So this church was founded by a guy, Paul, who is in jail right now and is writing this letter to this church that he really loves. He cares about them. Paul is actually shackled to one of the Praetorian guards. It's kind of like the secret service of the day, the 9,000 special soldiers that protect the emperor. And so Paul's shackled straight to one, and they keep rotating them out. And so uh, Romans are getting preached to, whether they like it or not, because he has an idea that something's going on back home in that church that is probably about to cause a problem. There's some friction. There's some disagreement. We don't know exactly what it is, but the way he writes, we know he loves that church. He cares about it, and he's also concerned for where they are right now. So he writes this letter to them, And we're going to pick it up in the 19th verse uh, in the second chapter. And we'll read down to the 30th, finish off the chapter, and I'll pray, and uh, then we'll jump into it. If the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit. Then he can cheer me up by telling me how you are getting along. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. But you know how Timothy has proved himself. Like a son with his father, he has served me in preaching the good news. I hope to send him to you just as soon as I find out what is going to happen to me here. And I have confidence from the Lord that I myself will come to see you soon. Meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. He is a true brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. And he was your messenger to help me in my need. I am sending him because he has been longing to see you, and he was very distressed that you heard he was ill. And he certainly was ill. In fact, he almost died. But God had mercy on him and also on me, so that I would not have one sorrow after another. So I am all the more anxious to send him back to you, 
for I know you will be glad to see him, and then I will not be so worried about you. Welcome him in the Lord's love and with great joy, and give him the honor that people like him deserve. For he risked his life for the work of Christ, and he was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do from far away. Father, we ask you to bless your word this morning. Breathe life on it. Holy Spirit, come, help me, come alongside us. Teach us, that's what you said you would do. You'd teach us all things, so help us to understand your word. Uh, We welcome you here. We love you, Jesus. We love you so much. And we thank you for loving us and calling us to serve you and follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today I'm calling this Great Leadership Models because as we've made our way through this book, we've come upon a portion where Paul says, I'm sending a couple of people to you to help you. And uh, in this process, in these verses, we're going to discover some great leadership models. And that is Timothy and Epaphroditus. And so uh, you've got to fill in, in your handout, if you want to take that out of it. And also your pen, and you can follow right along. I think there are nine fill-ins in there this morning. And look in uh, verses... uh, Well, let me give you a little update on who Timothy is. Timothy is a young man, probably somewhere between 29 and 33 years old, something like that. He was born to a Jewish mother, but he had a Greek father. We don't know what happened to his father. It just says that we find out in the book of Acts and over in Timothy, we know that that's the family he came from. We know who his mom is. We know she was a follower of God, became a Christian, a follower of Jesus. We know that his grandmother was as well. We don't know about his dad. Maybe he was killed. Maybe he left when they became Christians. We just don't know. We know that he probably came to Christ because Paul preached the gospel to Lydia and a few of the women there in Philippi who then started the church in Lydia's house of whom Eunice and Lois, the mother and the grandmother, became a part of the church and whom the church began to have leadership who shared with Timothy, Jesus, and then Timothy came to Christ and began to follow uh, Jesus. And then the people said, look, There's leadership on this guy. Look at the way he leads. Paul sees him, then pulls him alongside himself, and he becomes Paul's assistant and kind of like his associate pastor. That's a crazy story because some of you who raise your kids and you think, yeah, I don't know what's ever going to happen to my son or my daughter, or the people you talk to in life and you, you go, oh, it was just a passing acquaintance and I got to share a little bit with them. You never know how these people, where they're going to show up. Timothy shows up beside Paul, the greatest apostle to ever live through this whole process. So anytime you're talking to someone about Jesus and you're sharing your life, who he is, don't you for a minute, don't you for a minute pass that off as just being something trivial because you never know how the message is going to work its way back around and it's going to capture somebody and they are going to be used in some phenomenal way. And that's a, that's a huge part of the story of Timothy. Now, some of the things we can learn from Timothy is this. Uh, Look in verse 20 and 21. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. Your first feeling here on great leadership models is great leaders look out for others. Look at Timothy. He genuinely cares about your welfare. And about what Christ Jesus wants. And what does Christ want? He wants his church taken care of. 
He wants the gospel to be preached. And Paul says, there's no one else here in Rome where I'm at that has your, you know, has, has you in mind. They don't care about you. But Timothy does. Timothy looks out for others. He cares about others. They care about what's going on in others' lives. They have a sense of wanting to care and pray for them. They have a sense of uh, almost this concern of pastoring, and that is I want the best for them, for what Jesus wants for them. And that's, when you see that in the church, folks, when you see a leader with a heart like that, whether it be male or female, young or old, that is a very wonderful, special thing when you find people who care about you and care about you the way that Christ has called us to care for one another. That is the attribute of a great leader. Now think about this for a minute in the church. What are some ways a good leader looks out for others? I need, it. I need a few answers. The first service did great, so i got to have at least three from you guys because you're <laughs> twice the size of them, all right? So... Good leader prays and prays for those that he cares about. Listens. Very good. Serves them. Example. I'm sorry? Protects. One more? Loves them. Yes. That's great. Timothy is a great leader because he cares. And he genuinely cares. It's his heart. It's not a job description. It's his heart. He loves. And then in verse 22, we read this. But you know how Timothy has proved... That was your first fill-in, by the way, if you're following along. (laughs) He looks out for others. Uh, Verse 22, but you know how Timothy has proved himself. Your second fill-in is that great leaders have a track record. Timothy has proved himself. He has proved himself. But you know how he has proved himself. You're able to look behind leaders and see where they've been and what is left behind them. Great leaders are like that. And Timothy, uh, you could look behind him. The Philippian church could look behind his life as when he showed up and when they got this letter and go, okay, this guy's the real deal. Even though he's a young man, maybe only 30 years old, look what's behind him. He has been leading with Paul and serving in the church under dire situations. You know, we in the church think we have a tough time sometimes. Listen, folks. (laughs) This guy is shackled to Roman soldiers. He's wondering if he's going to get out, Paul is. He's thinking he will, but he may lose his head. He doesn't know for sure because of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Timothy has paid similar price. Here's one passage, and you've got it in your reference scriptures there, where he was put in jail as well at one point. And so this is a guy who has a track record. D.A. Carson uh, is a theologian, writer, and he was telling a story that when he was getting his undergraduate degree that he and a few other students started a small group for those asking questions about Jesus. Those that uh, were struggling through, trying to find out just who he was, had great questions. And, and they hit upon some questions that uh, they actually couldn't answer. 
And so they thought, how are we going to answer these questions? Is there someone we can go to? And there was this postgraduate student called Dave. They said, well, Dave is a really smart guy. Dave can probably help these folks in our small group. Let's take them, these two guys, and let's go down the hill from our dorm, and let's go to Dave's room, and let's talk to him. So they went down the hill from their dormitory, down to Dave's class to his uh, two rooms that he had, his study room and his bedroom, and they went in to meet Dave. The first guy that talked to Dave, he, uh, Dave looked at him and says, what, uh, why, why are you here? And he says, well, I've been going to this Bible study with these guys over here. And he says, you know, I don't understand all this stuff about Jesus. I want to know what's the difference in Islam. I want to know what's the difference in Buddhism because I might be interested in those things. And the difference in Christianity and atheism, I just want somebody to explain it all so I can choose. And uh, Dave looked at him and said, I don't have time for you. And Carson said, all of them just kind of got embarrassed and looked down. And he said, listen, I can give you some books. I can tell you some other people to talk to. I can tell you to go to a comparative religion class. But I don't have time for this. I'm a very busy person working on what I'm working on. I don't have time for this. And then he turned to the other guy. He went, how about you? Of course, the other guy's freaking out now. He's like, oh, great. So he said, well, I was raised in a really good home. I had great parents. They weren't Christians, but they were good people, good morals. And they raised me to live the right way. I just don't understand what's the difference. What's the difference in your life, in these guys' life, in my parents? What is the difference that Jesus makes? And Dave turned to him and said, watch me. Come and live for me a month. Move into my dorm room with me for one month and watch me. And at the end of that month, you will see what the difference is. Now, that's a track record. That's a scary thing. What if we invited someone into our lives and said, walk along in such a way other people could look behind him and see that he had a track record. When you have leadership like this in the church, when you have leaders who have a track record, that's a very wonderful thing. And, of course, you get a track record by doing what? Getting on the track. <laughs> you know, some of you got to sit and... Woo, you know, come on, get out on the track. Start the track record. Start running. So Timothy looks out for others. He has a track record. And a part of the track record for leaders is that they've been through some tough times. Now, all great leaders go through tough times. There is not one wonderful leader in the church that hasn't gone through his times of questioning or her times of doubt or her times of being challenged in her own walk. You know, King David, King David got to the point in his life as a leader that he began drooling, making like he was crazy. He was so distraught and so threatened in his life that he just starts acting nuts around this king so they will let him go. That's a pretty low point, don't you think? Especially when you're David, anointed king of Israel, but it hasn't happened yet and you got another king chasing you to kill you. So David runs off to a cave called the Cave of Adullam. Every leader I know has gone through a Cave of Adullam experience. When he's in there by himself, alone, wondering what is going on. But what does God do? He adds 400 other losers right on into into the cave with David. David looks around the room and he's got 400 men, brothers and sisters with him right there in that cave. And he comes out of that cave and indeed he does become the king of Israel. Elijah, the great prophet, has an amazing victory 
with the Baal prophets. 450 Baal prophets. You know, the fire comes down, gobbles up the offering, gobbles up, you know, the Baal prophets. And then you would think, hey, Elijah would go, let's take this thing on the road, man. I see a tent meeting. But instead, what happens to Elijah? He gets depressed. Because a lot of a lot of this and a lot of the warfare and all that goes on and following Jesus and being God's leader, it'll take its toll on you at times. And so what, does, what happens to Elijah? He runs off. His view gets skewed. He thinks he's the only one left. He's not. <laughs> he's not the only one left. There's a lot more left. But he feels that way. He runs off. He's tired. God gives him shade. God provides shade for him. God brings him water. God brings him food. God lets him rest. He lets him go a little further into the wilderness. He lets him rest. He gives him food. He takes him up into the mountains where he can be alone. God comes to him. Got to read the story. You ever read this right here? It's pretty good. Really neat stuff. Awesome. And he comes out. He hears God speaking to him. He comes back off the mountain. And God gives him an associate called Elijah after that. Beautiful story. But all leaders have a track record. They're proven. And Timothy is uh, no different. He has been proven in his work. Third, look in verse 23. I hope to send him to you just as soon as I find out what is going to happen to me. In other words, if, as soon as I find out whether I'm going to be executed or if I'm going to be released, I will send Timothy to tell you. But it, I'm going to wait till I know whether I'm going to be executed or released before I send him. And that is that great leaders are sendable. They are sendable. You can send them to accomplish a mission. You can send them to represent what you want done. You don't have to worry about what they're going to say. You don't have to worry about how they're going to present you, the message that you're sending, or the work that you're doing. That's a great honor to know that a leader in your life can call you and say, would you go take care of this for me? I mean, what a, what a great thing to say to someone. When someone asks you to do that, it's like them saying, I believe you're going to represent me and this mission well. Go and do this. Great leaders are sendable. They don't have, they're not so myopic in their own vision, their own needs, that they can't be used and trusted by other leaders who have brought them along. They're sendable. Timothy was such a man as this. Listen to these words in 1 Thessalonians 3. 1 through 6. Finally, when we could stand it no longer, this is from Paul as well to a church in Thessalonica. Finally, when we could stand it no longer, we decided to stay alone in Athens and we sent Timothy to visit you. He is our brother and God's co-worker in proclaiming the good news of Christ. We sent him to strengthen you, to encourage you in your faith, and to keep you from being shaken by the troubles you were going through. That is why when I bear it... I could bear it no longer. I sent Timothy to find out whether your faith was still strong. There's another uh, quote about Timothy in 1 Corinthians 4.14. Uh, but I'll, I'll let you guys read that. It's in the references down on the bottom. But how's that for trust? To be able to, with confidence, send someone and to say, Here, you go speak to them. You go encourage them. You go get the job done that we're trying to get done here. A church can never have enough leaders like Timothy. Never. Now, some of you out there right now are Timothys, but you just uh, you haven't stepped up. You know, that's my prayer for this whole week is that in this church, there are, there are Timothys and Epaphroditus, the guy we're going to talk about here next, that are sitting in this church just waiting for the invitation 
to step it up. Record, and they are sendable. Now, there's another guy here, Epaphroditus. What a name, huh? Can you say that? Epaphroditus. Yes, uh, he is not Jewish. He actually, his name kind of reflects that he came from a family that probably worshipped Aphrodite. So he comes out of a situation. His name means handsome. <laughs> and uh, so he comes out of a pagan background in a way. But now he is a follower of Christ. He is working in the church in Philippi. And actually the church in Philippi that this letter is written to has sent him to Rome to Paul with money to take care of him maybe food and uh, some other guys to sit there at the cell. You see, when you were in prison in Rome in those days, they didn't take care of you. They locked you up and forgot you. There was no food. There was no water. If you didn't have family or friends outside of the prison to take care of you, it was over. It was done. It, was, there was, it, wasn't, you know, it wasn't pretty. So the church says, let's take care of Paul. We love Paul. Let's send handsome down there. Let's send Handsome down there to encourage him. And so Handsome, you know, he's headed down there with the money and probably a couple of guys or so with him because you wouldn't travel back then with large sums of money without some guards or somebody with you to protect on the way. And as I said, that's how they would buy the food and and the water and the clothes and whatever Paul needed. So they send Epaphroditus. And uh, look what Paul says about him. Uh, There's three descriptions here in this one verse. It says, Meanwhile... I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. See, he's come from Philippi. He got sick on the way too, by the way. Deathly ill, but he still carried out his mission. He still got to Paul. He was deathly ill. He almost died. Paul says, Meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. He is a true brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. Those are your next three fill-ins for great leaders First one there is brother, a true brother. A true brother, a true sister in the Lord. There, I mean, believe me, Paul had those around him who were not true brothers, were not true sisters. And the church still has people in it that are not true brothers, true sisters. And when you start doing leadership and you start uh, delegating things out, you will see the heart of people. By that, I mean that the passion of God is in a believer's heart. That the first thing to that leader is Jesus. That they love Jesus. They love Jesus more than anything. That they are a true believer. A true believer. You know, if you're not a true believer today, you can start today. You can start right now. You you don't even have to close your eyes. Did you know that? You don't. Right now, you go, yes, Lord. I say yes. I say, yes, I believe. You know what happens? God comes and just honors that sincere prayer as he grips your heart and you go from darkness to light. You do it right now. Some of you need to do it right now. It's okay. You're in a great place. Just do it. Because Epaphroditus was a true believer. And Paul testifies that this is not someone who has his own agenda, but he loves Jesus. That is his agenda. Uh, he's not a poser. <laughs> That's what we used to, in surfing, you know, you had the guys who would ride around with their surfboards on their car all the time, but they would never go out. Like this guy, he's surfing his couch. Um, but, you know, he's, he wants, he, he, you know, he, he looks like he's surfing. I mean, it looks, but he's not. It's, it's like posing, really, in a way. And Paul says that Epaphroditus is no poser. He's the real deal. 
Great leaders in the church are the real deal. They love Jesus. They paddle out. They participate. They take responsibility for the church that Christ loves. True believers. Then he says, true believer, and he is my co-worker. That's your next feeling, co-worker. You know, great leaders come alongside other leaders and help them lead. They, they come as a co-leader. That's the way that other leaders kind of go through the ranks and, and make their way into the main leading is they, they become co-leaders first. And Epaphroditus was no different. How can I, you know, how can I help? It's like when you're digging a ditch. You ever been working? I'm really convicted right now because my neighbor, I don't know, maybe this was the Lord just doing this to me. My neighbor, who's got to be older than me, if you can imagine, older than me, is redoing his whole yard, his sodding himself. He's stripping every big yard, stripping all of it out, raking it all down. He was out there like eight hours yesterday doing it. And I walked by and felt sorry for him. I walked by and felt sorry for him. <laughs> oh, man, it's hot out here. You know, and uh, if I had been a co-worker with him, I would have said, grab my shovel and my rake, gone back to my neighbor, like three doors down, and got in the yard with him and went to working, right? And I would have asked him, what do you want me to do? I wouldn't have said, hey, man, that shrub looks like it needs to come out. <laughs> you know, it wouldn't be that. It was, what do you want? I am going to be your co-laborer, your co-worker. How can I benefit where you're headed? That is what Epaphroditus is. He's a co-worker. He's also a fellow soldier, your next fill-in. A fellow soldier. Now, you vets can appreciate this. Imagine Paul is shackled to a to one of these guys probably, or writing it in himself, and he hears this term, fellow soldier. Imagine that Roman soldier going, whoa, wait a minute, I know what that's about. I know what that's about. Because what Paul is saying is that Epaphroditus has paid the price. He was ill. He almost died, yet he still got here with the money, with the letters, with the help. And this has to do with suffering when it says fellow soldier. It has to do with paying the price of being in the battle with Paul. That he, and like I said earlier about uh, Elijah and, and David or Paul, or if you read about any of these people, they paid a price to lead the way they live. Every leader pays a price. And Epaphroditus was one who had experienced loss but still kept pushing on. Now, the question in the church that I want to pull this to a close today with is this, and that is how does the church respond when you have good leadership in it? And Paul does not leave us wanting. He's going to tell us in this passage. And uh, so let's jump into this and we'll, we'll pray here in just a moment. In Philippians 2.28, we read, So I am all the more anxious to send him back to you, Epaphroditus, for I know you will be glad to see him, and then I will not be worried about you. Because they had heard he was sick. And they were like, is he alive? Is he alive? They loved Epaphroditus. And so Paul wants to get word back. So he wants to send him. You will be glad to see him. How do we respond to good leadership? We rejoice over it. We rejoice over it. We thank God for it. We should be glad to see see them, whoever our leaders are. We should thank God. Look at Ephesians 4.11. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. Gifts. What do you do when you get a gift? 
You rejoice, don't you? Thank you. These are the gifts Christ gave to the church. Apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastor teachers. In other words, leaders. Christ gives leaders to the church. And we're to rejoice in it. And then in verse 29, he says what to him? Welcome him in the Lord's love. Or he says to them, welcome him in the Lord's love and with great joy. That is, welcome them. We welcome leaders. In a few weeks, we're going to see our national leaders. I'll get a chance to be with them a bit. And I can't wait to see them. I can't wait to welcome them. To say, you know, there's, there's a welcome like thank you. And there is a welcome or of, I am glad you are here. You get it? Doug Dorman was telling me in Uganda that uh, they greet one another with, you are very welcome here. You are very welcome here. In Paul's day, the Jewish people, when they mentioned welcoming people, it was throwing a party. And I don't mean just a little party. It was like a three-day festival. Paul is saying to them, when he gets back, You guys need to throw a shindig. I mean, really rejoice. The Jewish people knew how to rejoice. We do need more parties around here, I have to admit. We do. We we just need to be throwing them right and left all the time. And he says, throw a party for the good leader that you have. Let him know he was missed. Welcome him back. Go, you are very welcome. We're so glad you are here. Now this, it's kind of difficult because I'm up here as the senior pastor of the church and I'm reading all this, right? But it's in the Bible, so I'm good. Um, the, la- the last one, in, and this is, this is, the last one is this in Philippians 2.29. He says, welcome him in the Lord's love and with great joy and give him the honor that people like him deserve. Now, see, I'm going to tell you, in America, we have a problem with this. People, we got a problem with this. Church, we got a problem with this. We don't want to honor anybody. Anybody we don't like, anybody we don't... I mean, we are an honorless society. We have much more freedom to criticize people and leaders than we do honoring them. And that goes from any government to church to wherever. We Americans are such a free people that we freely give our criticism. But we rarely honor where it is due. And the kingdom... And the church of the kingdom of God should be different. It should be different. This is, a, this is a part of our Americanism. It's not really a part of some other parts of the world. This is, this is our struggle. It's a good thing to honor. Listen to Hebrews thirteen seven. Remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow the example of their faith. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.12, Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work. And live peacefully with one another. Because it's hard to pastor people who don't. That's why he's saying that. Who won't live peacefully with one another. I think this morning there's some of you who have been called to lead and you've stepping you've stepped away from that you've kind of like you you could be thinking I'm too old I'm too old to do this like you know I led a business for 30 40 years I don't want to do this again well you don't have to do that again but you can do something again why would God take you through all of that and train you and without 
You're using that for the kingdom's sake when you get free to do it. Some of you are too, you think you're too young. I don't know enough. Well, you start with one step. You get on the track. You come in and you say, how can I serve? Show me. I want to grab the shovel and get alongside you and I want to work. Show me which direction to go. Let's start it. Male, female, young, old, it does not matter. The church needs leaders and God is great at working into you what you can work out. It's his work. It's his church and it's his world. And he needs leaders to do it, what he intends to do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the leadership that we've experienced in our lives, the good leaders. We celebrate them. We rejoice over the gift that they have been in our life. We thank you. And Lord, I ask that these words today would change us. It's it's not that leaders need all of the parties and all of that, Lord, at all. It's that we need to recognize what God has given. And we need to appreciate it. It's for us much more than it's for them. We need to recognize it. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.